about 10 months later, I looked really different. My energy level actually was really good. I looked leaner, stronger, fitter than I'd Hmm. having been an iron distance triathlete, you know, that over and above. Like when I taught classes, well, that's not my workout. You know, I have to do extra, you know, and that's what trainers and fitness instructors did for a long time. And so I was really exercising hours a day for years and thought that was fit and and lots of superficial, you know, kudos said that too. But, you know, when I think back, that really wasn't probably fitness. I was probably tired all the time on a low level, probably relied a little bit more on sugar or caffeine than I would have or should have. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com, but for now, here is today's episode. All right, hello my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show, episode number 300 of this podcast. Somehow they've kept us around for this long. It's actually kind of unbelievable. Um, so we've been going for over three years now with you guys, uh, averaging about two episodes per week. So it's really fun. We will be moving up to about three episodes per week starting in early March. We're trying to get it by then. Um, so we want to reward all the people that have been hanging out with us for this long. We love doing this and it's only going up from here. Now, I also want to announce, and uh, my friend Tracy's in the background here. So Tracy, I hate to put you on the spot with this, but I just remembered that this is a great chance for a last second call for our stress and hormones workshop that's going on tonight at 4 p.m. PST, 7 p.m. EST. So if you're listening to this after January January 18th, you can ignore that message. If you are listening to this live today or shortly after, and somehow you like listening to me to any degree, you might want to check out this webinar tonight. It's going to be fun. Myself and Joe Pate will be hanging out, and uh, it was an awesome webinar the last time we did it. Now, for episode 300, we didn't want to disappoint, so we have a wonderful guest here today that her work really speaks to so much of our audience, and at the very least, if it doesn't speak to you directly, we can guarantee it's going to speak to one of your clients, and it's really good to mix this all in uh, because you really can't be a functional medicine practitioner, an FDN practitioner, um, and not attract you know women over the age of 50. They're the smart ones that actually take care of their health when they have health symptoms, and so we want to shout out something today that can be really interesting for that, but first, I want to read Deborah's bio if you somehow do not know her. Hormone balancing fitness expert Deborah Atkinson is flipping the script on aging and the sec flipping 50, the home of the first and only exclusively made for menopause fitness membership in the world. Her TEDx talk, Why Everything Women in Menopause Learned About Exercise May Be a Lie, disrupts the fitness industry's traditional approach to fitness for everyone. 
Atkinson hosts the Flipping 50 podcast, and she mean and she means 50 uh, fitness business podcast, is a 40-year international fitness educator and subject matter expert. She is also the creator of the Flipping 50 Menopause Fitness Specialist. I got all those words down. I almost got through perfectly. So welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for coming on today. You're welcome. And I'm sorry about all those Fs. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's always a good uh, practice for me. It's like funny because I'll read it beforehand. I'm like, I got this. I got this. You throw me live. Done. Screw it. Uh, it's not going to work out as well. So I will uh, put that link to the workshop for you guys below if you're interested in that. But Deborah, I wanted to say you were on Health Space Unmasked with our audience or our FDNs. I want to know, how do you like the group? Uh, was this a good group for your topic? Did they seem to resonate with it? This is a stellar group, you know, and I think definitely you're already serving them. I think the more we know, the more we know, the more we can do. And, you know, I think we're going to continue to learn a lot in the next 10 years. I think things are going to change dramatically. Most of all, the way we age and the way we help our clients age. Right. Well, thank you for flattering our audience right away. This is smart. It's a good way to get them to listen. So with that said, before we jump into the main topic of today, one of the themes that we've kept for the entirety of this podcast is really trying to bring on people who have some sort of personal story. And thankfully, in our spaces, you know, that's super easy. It's mostly people's own journeys that inspire them to get into this space. And I think we've only gone away from that like five to 10 times. It's really been uh, the case that everyone has a personal thing. So I know that is the case for you. Uh, my question that I always start with is what were your health symptoms like and when did they begin? Well, the truth is I accidentally stumbled into this and I accidentally stumbled into this doing the right thing purely by accident and by necessity. You know, I mean, it was uh, literally necessity is the mother of invention. And, you know, I was 49 midlife crisis, essentially. A lot of things had changed, and I just thought, you know, my my kid went off to college, and, you know, I thought for a minute about changing jobs and applying to teach at that university, but that's like going to college with your kid, and it's frowned upon. So I thought, you know, I mean, he's got a life now. I'm not traipsing around golf courses. I'm not, you know, on a schedule of a school kid anymore. And I should probably either decide, am I going to settle for staying here, which I had a great life. I loved what I did. You know, I've never not liked my job. That wasn't ever the reason I switched. I, you know, I think you, when we're in fitness and health, I think it's really easy to love our jobs. But it's also because of that, maybe really easy to settle for what's going really well and not shake things up. And I really had a, a desire to help in the fitness industry. And believe it or not, I quit my job in safety and security and everything else because I'd been a senior lecturer in kinesiology for about 15 years of a, you know, about 30 year career. And I'd been in the private sector as well. And I had been on all sides of this, you know, weight bench, if you will, mm. seeing what students came in and what they thought they needed to know to go out and be successful, seeing what someone in management, you know, in hiring, training and firing people, what they knew a trainer needed to know. And then I was... 49. So in midlife, I knew what my clients wanted them to know. And that's a pretty unique perspective. And I'm fortunate enough to have that inside window. But what I learned is we were losing the good ones. We were losing 
really qualified students who cared enough to get the information, the knowledge, had the heart, but they would be out for a couple of years. And as I supervised internships, of course, I always wrote a letter of recommendation at the end for the interns who went well, anyway, whom it went well for. But two years later, sometimes they would come back too often and say, would you write me another letter of recommendation? But it wasn't about having gotten a promotion. It was about, I can't make a living doing this, you know, because they couldn't market and sell. So I I realized that for some reason and whatever it was, because I didn't have a background in it, I didn't have parents who were in marketing or sales, but I found it easy to talk to a prospective client and to get them to say, yes, this is what I needed to do. So that we've got a framework here. We've got to figure out how do we teach this to other people because we're not doing anything that anybody else couldn't do. And I wanted to put that into the hands of the right people. And that's why I quit. So I'm 49, panicking really, because the day after I quit, I was like, I'm going to pay college tuition starting in eight months. What was I thinking? You know, I mean, this was not a good move. I'm I'm divorced. I'm a single mom with, with a high quality parent on the other side. So it wasn't that. But, you know, I wanted to hold up my end of the deal. And, you know, it had to work. So I was stuck at a computer for you know, most of the day, lots of times in my pajamas, coming out of it in order to, you know, 20 minute workout. Sometimes that was walking an old English sheepdog around the neighborhood, not all that fast. And, you know, about 10 months later, I looked really different. My energy level actually was really good. I looked leaner, stronger, fitter than I'd hmm. Having been an iron distance triathlete, you know, that over and above, like when I taught classes, well, that's not my workout. You know, I have to do extra, you know, and that's what trainers and fitness instructors did for a long time. And so I was really exercising hours a day for years and thought that was fit and and lots of superficial, you know, kudos said that too. But you know, when I think back, that really wasn't probably fitness. I was probably tired all the time on a low level, yeah. probably relied a little bit more on sugar or caffeine than I would have or should have. And and now I know, right? Now I know better. But that all occurred after I said, wait a minute, what's happening here? You know, I mean, this, I would, I should be in worse shape, not better. Is this just me? And so I started digging into the research just a little bit on, you know, exercise, over-exercise, under-exercise. What's the sweet spot for exercise? And remember, I'm 49, about to be 50. And whether I felt it or knew it or not, I was in perimenopause. I mean, you were pretty sure, you know, that for most women, they are by then, if not 40 to 50, at least right now. And what I found is, you know, such a small percent of the research really caters to women at all. So exercise research features men way often, or mice, you know, or young women, if women at all. Very little women post-menopause. And and fortunately, now we can all say it's so much better now. But I realized that, you know, most of the women that I had been working with, and, and birth order means a lot, Really? So I was probably an old soul at 22 
And I kept, I, I would get the older adults. They were assigned to me as I was an undergrad and I had older parents, I had older siblings, and it was easy for me to talk to them, create rapport. So I was doing research long before I knew I was doing research. And baby boomers were my clients. And as soon as I stopped to say, okay, I'm going to teach our marketing and sales strategies to trainers so we can keep these good ones in the fitness industry and help to, you know, make better choices for consumers, but also to, you know, make sure we keep those ones in who really heart is, this is what I want to do. And I want to do this every day for my career, but felt like they couldn't. We, we win-win for everybody. And I realized I can't stop doing it myself or I'm just, you know, pretty soon I'm irrelevant. And I'm just saying, you know, I'm an expert in this, do this. I'm not doing it by the way, but do this, you know? (laughs) And so I'm like, I have to, I have to keep doing it. And so I said, I'm picking a niche. And midlife women were who I had been working with the majority of the time because, as you said, you know, when we have a problem, we ask for help, we go get answers, and we we generally will listen to a respectable source or resource. So that's who I chose. The people who were saying to me, my doctor just said, well, welcome to menopause. What do you expect? Nobody gets it, you know. And baby boomers weren't willing to settle for that. You know, they they shake things up like they did all the way through. And in this way, they've done a great thing for all of us by setting the path that, no, 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 we're not willing to settle for this. We don't want to do this. We don't want to feel this way. What else you got? And so now those of us that are following, you know, are not, I'm a barely boomer, right? So that very tail end, the very last year, it, that's that group just grew and exploded. And, you know, then the pandemic hit. So as a an online business, I was well positioned to help people. But we know now that menopause has a very different path and looking at you know, what you need to do, how you need to exercise because of the vast changes that occur quickly, dramatically for some women in menopause. And it's not just affecting her now. It's not just affecting the fact she can't walk into her closet and put anything she wants on. It's going to affect her for the next 40 or 50 years. And it could change the way someone ages. Okay. Wow. I'm really fascinated by well, a lot of this, but one particular part that you said was that, you know, you're kind of doing less, but that's when you're starting to feel better. I don't want to make what I'm about to say the main focus of today's conversation, but I, I think this is a problem that is extending to multiple generations. And here's what I mean. When I first, you know, FDN's huge on testing. When I first yeah. got my test results back from FDN, I was 21 at the time. Now, mind you, Deborah, I had been six since five. So that's a huge stressor, but that's kind of going to be one of the points I'm getting to. At 21, I had hormones that were in the, what, you know, read calls and many people call the exhaustive phase of HPA axis dysfunction. And I'll never forget my mentor at the time, Brandon, had said to me, hey, man, you might want to consider just temporarily, this isn't forever, but just temporarily kind of dialing down on the exercise. Because at the time I played basketball recreationally, but I did it like six hours a week. I weightlifted Mm -hmm. three hours a week, did all this other stuff. And he was arguing that your hormones or your stress response rather can't keep up with the demand that you're putting on, even if you think it's otherwise normal. And so I didn't want to do this. I was like, this is BS. I'm not going this route. Then I broke my foot in basketball two days later. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to have to stop doing everything now. I'm on crutches in the boot. 
And I'll never forget because on mentally, I was actually very upset about this. I wouldn't call it depressed. I don't think that's fair to say, but I was upset because movement's such a big part of my life. It's such a big part of many people's right. lives. And a week later, though, I woke up with probably the most energy that I had had in six months to a year minimum. Like I actually felt good. So it was a shame that my foot was broken because there was only so much I could do. But I started to feel really good. And I made sure, you know, I'm, I'm doing my walks with the crutches, which I could only go so far before I tired out and it hurt my armpits. But um, I did what I could with that. But I started to see that, oh, maybe he's right in this sense. Like maybe I do need to dial back so that I can go forward again, at least in a younger person's case. And something else that I see is, or kind of the point that I'm getting at, I should say, is there are very high levels of stress in today's world. You know that FDNs focus on things like the environmental toxins and staying up way too late and just general stress that already happens in life, relationships, you know, you're late on a bill that you didn't know about, whatever it might be. And I think the stress load is so high in today's world uh, that for many of us, especially those not so genetically inclined, it actually leads us to not being able to handle the stress levels of what you know, many Instagram influencers push as like mm -hmm. normal exercise. Uh, and there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people forget about. I'll never forget. Um, I looked into like LeBron James's diet. I was looking into uh, celebrities diets when I was first getting into this. And I was surprised to find that he's experimented not only with paleo diets and stuff, that's not the point, but he sleeps about 12 hours per day. Now, this yeah. is the number one basketball player in the world for many years. And many mm -hmm. people are just thinking it's a Kobe Bryant type thing because Kobe always pushed sleep four hours and then go out and do more. And then they don't realize he stopped that eventually and said that was a bad idea. But LeBron sleeping 12. You got Habib Nurmagomedov, one of the top UFC people. And he retired, but he was one of the top UFC people ever. And what they didn't realize is that his schedule was train his ass off for three hours, sleep for three hours, train his ass off for sleep out three hours, sleep for three hours. And so some of these top people that we're thinking are just pushing the agenda of work harder, work harder. First of all, this is their full-time job. And second of right. all, they're still sleeping more than the average person. So mm -hmm. I know what's affecting the younger generation. I think it's the Instagram influencers. I think it's the celebrities that we think we need to be like. Mm -hmm. What do you think is affecting these women that go through menopause and older to think that they need to do so much? That's kind of the question I was trying to get to. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And there's so much there. We could be here for days. So set up <laughs> camp, everybody. But I know you got obligations later, so we can't do that. But I think a little bit, it's still what you're saying, because I think they'll go on and there are influencers still who are saying, I'm 52 and this is what you need to do. And they're dancing and telling. And I'm like, please stop, please stop dancing. But, <laughs> you know, they're cute. They're adorable. They're beautiful. They've got great bodies. And it is hard, whether you're male or you're female, we are all attracted, you know, to a gorgeous female body. I mean, we're going to look. And we're going to say, I'll have what she's having, please. You know, and we're going to pay attention. It's it's almost compelling. So I think we're we're still subject to that, but even more. So a woman who's 50 or a woman who is 60, for 40 or 50 years, she's been subject to all of the messages like no pain, no gain. You work harder. They were raised, we were raised by parents from World War II. The harder you work, the better results you will get. I mean, it's really hard to shake that from here, you know, and we believe that, you know, it should be hard work. And in our community, in our groups, you know, we will be in there and I will have to catch myself, 
you know, from saying something about, you know, working smarter is what we want to use. We want to use that language as opposed to working harder. And, you know, we look at opportunities because in our community, potentially more than in, say, community of 25-year-olds, there are going to be people who have to sit out because they're now caregiving for a parent who's passing away or they've got plantar fasciitis and they, they're going to have a knee replacement or a spouse is and they're going to go take care of a new grandchild. But there are all kinds of reasons why somebody is probably going to have a week or two or longer off and we have to look at it for them like this opportunity that you had and that I had, right, where we were forced to take a back seat and realize, oh, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, this is actually working. What? You know, but if we can get them to say this is such an opportunity that you have time now to focus on the nutrition side of things. If you were struggling, you know, to do some nutritional planning and get those those foods made in advance, now you've got time. Or you can focus a little bit more on maybe mobility or your core so that when you can come back, you are ready to come back. You know, so if we can create a positive out of it, it certainly helps. So as much as we're talking about changing the exercise prescription, we have to be talking about changing what's between the ears. Sure. And well, and speaking of that, I'm wondering too, because I, I don't think this is exclusively the problem, but I've seen this a lot. Women of all ages It's actually shocking to me, especially as I've worked with more clients or my fiance is an FDN. So she's working with a lot of clients now as well. I'm kind of shocked by how many people use, especially women, use the exercise thing as a reward. Like I deserve, you know, this food now or whatever. And so, I mean, I understand mm -hmm. that we're not, you know, PhDs in psychiatry here or psychology, uh, but mm -hmm. how often are you seeing that where some of the exercise isn't necessarily even something that, you know, they wanted to do or think they should do, but it's like, I have to do this because this is how I deserve these other things in my life. Do you see that a lot with the people you've worked with? We call it the earn or burn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's that a lot of times that is exactly how we're looking at exercise. And we don't even have to consciously think it. But, you know, and there's a little bit of truth to it. So we can't totally discount it, right? I mean, if we were going to exercise strenuously, I mean, around that exercise session, pre and or post, or maybe during, if it was, you know, we're going to go on a long hike, we will take in more calories. We will need more fuel and we should. But I think where we see women go wrong is, is they're not just taking that out. They're thinking at each and every meal, I didn't exercise today. So, you know, I shouldn't have anything, you know, and, and I mean, they're not getting anything like very few calories or I should skip because I didn't. So we see that risk reward or, you know, I had it, I have to burn it off mentality, mm. have it all the time. I work with a yeah. woman and have for, I've worked with her for over 10 years now and she is almost 71, you know, at her next birthday. And she's to the point where we can talk about it openly and she will catch herself doing it. Like I have to watch myself. But when we first began, probably for the first six to eight years, it would almost bring tears to her eyes that, you know, we had to change this thinking that, you know, 
as you're eating less, what's happening is you're slowing your metabolism. You know, we're we're trying to create muscles in a stronger body and a body that's moving more and then you want to go faster. We can't do that. We couldn't take an athlete and not fuel them. They wouldn't be able to do it, you know, and, and it was such a struggle. It would bring tears to her eyes because of the incongruence, not outside of her, but within her. Like intelligently, it made sense intellectually, but, but emotionally, it's like, I believe this for so long. It's just got so much gravity to it. Yeah. And um, we do have a couple, well, we have one question here, a couple comments, but I want to invite everyone. It's a little earlier than I normally would, but please feel free. You know, you guys don't have to be too open and vulnerable here, uh, but I'm really curious how many people resonate with that whole thing of, or let's just say maybe you know someone who does just so we can keep things you know private if we want. But how many people resonate with what we were just talking about regarding like you almost feel like you need to exercise to earn this stuff or you know someone like that. It, I mean it's overwhelming to me how many people I've seen with it. And you know it's interesting when you work with someone as a client, uh, I'm sure patient or a coach, then you start to find that the things that we think maybe like only one person deals with or only we deal with, it's like no, a lot of people deal with these things. We're all very similar when you actually break this stuff down. Um so I'm curious if you guys have experienced that. And then of course you may ask any questions that you want. And if they are relevant, I think they're great. I will happily ask them to Deborah here. So one thing I thought was perfect and kind of transitions me into the next thing I wanted to talk about anyway, is Tracy asked, what are a few examples of exercises you promote for women over 50? And I would maybe add to that even just style of exercise or timing of exercise. I know this is probably highly mm-hmm. individualized, but I, I think we need to break that out down. Like how should the exercise be different for people over 50 or po- post-menopause? Yeah, this is so great. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw in a little story here. So I work with a woman who is helping me with say creating reels on social media. So she's, she's doing the filming and then she'll come up with posts and we're working together to you know, say, okay, no, I'm not, we're not going to post that. And I'm not going to be cute and point, like, we're not going to do this, but, (laughs) and we can't say this and we have to say that, but, you know, she's, she's a social media person. She doesn't know the science. So it's a dance. But one of the things she kept trying to write was these are hormone balancing exercises. And I said, but, you know, let me point out that there's hormone balancing exercise and the exercises, as everybody here knows, I'm preaching to the choir, you know, when a squat is a squat, like that's not going to change, but it is the, the type, whether we're talking high intensity, we're talking going for a walk, lower intensity, or we're talking about strength training and the timing of when should those happen? Ideally, maybe during a month, if somebody is still on a regular cycle, more often or less often, or just in the course of a day, based on circadian rhythms, cortisol levels during the day, that's what really changes. And that's what really we're talking about. So, you know, it's like you've had all the tools if you are a trainer, And you know the kinesiology and good technique and strategy in strength training exercise. You still want to do movement screens. We still want to know how is somebody kinesthetically set up to optimally do an exercise versus not. Do they need more strength? Do they need more stretching? You have to still apply all that. But we want to pull in what's their hormonal status and what do we need to do and how do we integrate that? 
So type and timing is one of the biggest things. So in terms of exercise, it's we use a, a mantra. One of the tenets of flipping 50 is, first of all, restore before more. And I think, you know, both you and I illustrated that, you know, ourselves that, wow, you don't know you're tired until you get the rest and you're like, this is how it can feel. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. I'll have some more of that. So it's, it's, you know, when we have those people who are obviously under adrenal fatigue, though we've got a lot of women in our community who will push through and they'll be actually commenting in the group, the Facebook group, you know, I was so tired, you know, I had to, you know, lay on the couch and recover for a few days. I really had to rest. Am I ready to go again? You know, we have that happen over and over. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 time out, stop. We're, we need to put this program over here. And here's what we're going to pull in for you. Let's get you feeling good first. And then we'll pull this one back. Mm-hmm. We're just not ready for it. It would be like eating kale and salmon while you have the f- stomach flu. We would never do that ever, ever be a bad idea. So similarly, so early in the day for intense, we say intense, early, light, late. Now, light exercise, you can do any day. It won't be harmful to you. But intense exercise later in the day for a woman who is more susceptible to negative effects of stress. When estrogen levels go down, your cortisol levels go up correspondingly and basically relatively. So the stress that, you know, was stressed 10 years ago, you made this comment really early, Evan, I can't even say how you said it, it phrased it exactly, but it's mm-hmm. that your body is not going to be able to accommodate, handle, mm-hmm. have the same amount of resilience under the same stress that you used to be able to handle just fine. And we're throwing or imposing exercise stress on someone who is now already feeling higher stress just overall. So the stress that we may have had with longer workouts, maybe those should be shortened. And the the really intense things that we were doing, maybe for a while we should walk and do weight training and see how that goes and then pull the hit in when again energy level is really good and we almost feel like I could do more I know I could do more every day I feel good I'm sleeping good and digestion is great so all the signs whether we're lab testing or not we have some clues so early with high intensity interval training specifically that's probably the biggest one. And I can say anybody else out there, I was a group fitness instructor for a really long time, led boot camps as a personal trainer for a really long time. I let my trainers do this for way too long. 4.30 p.m., 5.30 p.m., 6.30 p.m. classes, making people go hard, you know, balls to the walls to get in shape. You know, we were probably shooting them in the foot as far as the quality if not quantity of sleep that they were going to get later because of this robbing of progesterone, pregnenolone being converted into the cortisol we need for the exercise energy, you know, and, and it's all well and good. They'll get through the workout just fine. But it's later when you try to go to sleep and chill out and relax that you may be just a little bit more wound up because you wrote checks on that account, on that that hormone that's supposed to help you relax is already gone. It, it was converted into energy for the workout. So the suffering isn't really apparent. 
It's not intuitive that it's not working. It may take a little while and feel like, oh, it really is working, but it also could be depleting their immune system, making them just a little less resilient for anything. And so it's, you've got to really watch for clues there. But I would move all that high-intensity stuff to early. There is no catching up. You know, we say if you miss that morning workout, it is not great if your studio allows you to go at night instead. <laughs> you know, we shouldn't be doing that anymore. And we do, right? We still say, but, you know, join here because even if you don't go to the morning one, there's a nighttime one. You can always get in and get a workout in. They should go to yoga instead or go for a walk instead. And that may remove the obstacle, you know, that is in the way of them getting the greatest energy or the weight loss if if that was their goal. So that's one of the big ones is changing the timing and the type of exercise and not feeling like, you know, if I compare my yoga to high intensity interval training, you know, immediately somebody's going to say, but I'm not going to burn the same amount of calories. Nope, you're not. But it's not what calories in and calories out that balance. It's it's how how the calories impact the hormones that determine mm. fat storage or fat burning. And that's what it ultimately comes down to. So if we decrease cortisol levels, we're still going to improve fat burning. If we elevate cortisol levels or throw them way under the bus, either high or low is not great at the wrong time of day, we will also interfere with optimal energy and optimal fat storage. So getting that message across probably needs to be repeated over and over and over to the women who've heard exactly the opposite for way too long. There's so many things here to dissect. We, yeah, we might be due, you know, maybe several months down the road, if you don't mind, some type of part two, because it's like sometimes yeah. I feel like when I get on for someone or with someone for the first time, it just leads to all these different things we we could do. Uh, but one of the things I want to thank you for right away is mentioning the calories thing, because it's good to hear it from someone else, because this is the narrative that it's purely calories in, calories out is just asinine. And there's so much this is the fitness influencer thing is just crazy. And I'm not saying that there's not a bunch of functional medicine people that don't spew, they spew garbage sometimes. They spew stuff that is not rooted in science. They're out there saying, you know, infrared sauna can cure this, that, and the next thing. I'm like, where is the data uh, to support this? Like you have a few anecdotes, which is cool. That's important, but that's not a clinical study. You can't go, or a clinical trial. You can't go and say uh, that it does something like this. So my point is, I have found on the extremes, of course, it's true. There, there's a little truth in everything. So if I eat zero calories, you bet your butt I'm going to lose some weight. If I eat 10,000 calories, I'm not an Olympic athlete. Obviously, I'm going to gain weight. Now, in between those two extremes, there's a lot of nuance. Anyone who's ever dealt with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and doesn't have proper medication or the lifestyle factors necessary to resolve that condition knows this all too well because those people will be sitting there eating 12, 1500 calories a day and they're either gaining weight or not losing weight when they're eating barely anything at all. So uh, there's a lot of nuance between those two extremes. The other thing I wanted to touch on is I love what you mentioned about like the late group classes at night, because uh, that's certainly one thing amongst a few others today that this is universally good advice, no matter what age you are or what stage of life that you're in. Just because I can go do a six o'clock class right now in the winter, I don't think that's a wise idea. I'm really into light and circadian biology. I think it's a fascinating subject and learning about it has helped my own health issues a lot. 
I purposely, I'm never going to the gym at 7 p.m. at night when it is dark outside. I don't do that. I work out when there is light outside. And so those times might actually shift for me if it's summer and I shift them accordingly mm-hmm. if it's winter. You will never see me. I, sunset's like 5 p.m. right now for me. You will never see me in a gym or doing the sports that I do or doing anything like that if I if I can avoid it. And I actually just made this mistake uh, probably a couple weeks ago and I hadn't done it in months. So I... <laughs> Talking about exercises that are good for people over 50. Uh, this is not my proudest sport that I play. I promise I do some cooler things in this, Deborah. I love pickleball. I think it's the best thing ever. We have a very competitive club near me, as competitive as it can be. I have a field day there and I love it. And I'm so addicted that I couldn't get in the other day with work. I'm like, I'm just, you know, screw it, man. I'll go to one seven to nine session, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. What, what can it hurt? And it screwed up my readiness score with the aura ring. I didn't go to bed for an extra three hours. I woke up in the middle of the night. Like it was just awful because my body never has to go through that. We don't push it that late at night. People are like, oh, it's pickleball. How much are you pushing it? I promise you, if you're playing at a decent level, you're you're running and moving and stuff. So you can't be doing that stuff. So no matter what age you are, you know, exercising in alignment with what nature would have intended for physical activity. I think that just makes a ton of sense. Um, it is a very intuitive thing. So I want to talk about what you offer people and and how they can be helped by you. So you kind of already mentioned, you said type and timing about like, in terms of like hormone types, and I guess types of bodies for what exercises they can do. What do you utilize in your business? Like, do you do lab testing with the people that you work with? Or is there another approach to figure out what they might be able to handle at any specific time? Because obviously, it's going to vary uh, even for two 55 year olds, let alone a 50 year old and a 75 year old. Yeah, so definitely if I'm working with somebody one-on-one, you know, generally we are test don't guess, you know, it, so everybody wants to know and this just came up I think today on a live coaching call in our community. You know, I follow X Y and Z, somebody that you recommended and he's got a bone building supplement bundle. Would you say that's okay cuz you know, he's a reputable source and I said I said you know, I would, you know, I love him. I think he's great. And how do you know that's the amount you need? You know, so, you know, I'm like, why would you just shoot blanks anymore when we know we can do micronutrient testing and say, are you an optimal? And what is optimal? And what do you need to close that gap? And maybe how long do you want to do that before you retest? I think we got to have a plan. So I lay that out when we have somebody go through, say, a program, we're telling them almost just that right there so that they can make the decision, you know, do I want to work with an FDN? Do I want to work with a health coach to do that testing and interpret it for me? Because, you know, as everybody here knows, it's not just, you know, take the test, get the norms back and, oh, good, I'm normal, you know, and feel like, you know what? And so I'm going to live with that because now I'm normal that that I know. You know, we want to know that they're in optimal ranges and they don't know the the language even behind that. So we teach them that. We're empowering them how to choose somebody more qualified like an FDN versus somebody who got their certification last weekend after reading a Cracker Jack box. You know, we're teaching them, here's the difference between, here's how you need to interview somebody who's qualified versus not. Here's how they'll answer if they're qualified. So 
It depends on how they're working with us. But, you know, I will do lab testing. I don't do a lot of that anymore. I work with maybe a handful of people. And I find that the reason I'm working with people is to keep them compliant. It is the mindset Mm. piece that they need the most work with because they often have done the lab testing. They know what they need to do. We know what their targets are. It's they're having a struggle internally with getting it done, making it a priority and, you know, trying to make flip that switch before, before there's a diagnosis that says you have to, you have to do this. Yeah, I think well, I think that's very human and it's very needed for a lot of people because otherwise, I mean, in theory, you should be able to just be an FDN practitioner who gives a very extended session of like three hours. You record this stuff, say this is everything you need to do over the next, you know, half a year of your life. Goodbye. Like, thanks. Console. And that has worked zero times ever. Right. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, we we need that to. It is a habit change thing, you know. You could actually get the steps from someone who's trained and well versed fairly simply for most conditions. It's not always that straightforward. Sometimes there's some yeah. mystery reasons the person's sick, but you know, eight out of ten cases maybe uh, that come to me, it's like, okay, no, I know what the future is going to look like for this person ninety to one hundred eighty days down the road if they're just willing to follow this stuff. Uh, but you got to keep them on track and, and keep them moving. So I think we understand perfectly uh, the demographic that you serve, but I'm also curious and I would like to you know give you the opportunity to kind of shout this out who is the person coming to you and I mean beyond just the numbers of okay maybe a 50 to 70 year old maybe a woman I want to know what else is there is there a certain type of personality that you attract is there a certain set of things that they might be struggling with because there's probably someone listening today or listening afterwards that's saying okay like I really like Deborah she seems super approachable which you do and I I think I have this problem that they're describing but should I go actually work with her or her team so who are the types of people that you like to work with you know, I think the biggest thing is that somebody is struggling to believe or they're already there, but that it doesn't have to be the way we've seen prior generations age. We don't have to age the same way as our parents, but but our challenge, our biggest challenge, I think, for a lot of us right now is we don't have a great example. I mean, if you look at the people between the age span of, say, 70 or maybe 65 and, you know, 95 or the end of their life, they were they haven't strength trained their entire lives mm-hmm. you know and healthy eating has been a moving target that used to be grains right it used to be grains and you know lots and lots of dairy you know and so it's changed dramatically we're going to be the first generation 50 somethings maybe early 60 somethings who strength trained and committed to that our whole lives You know, we've had a cell phone, you know, most of our adult lives, we're never going to put them down. So we're going to be using apps, you know, on our, on our deathbeds. Isn't that an interesting thing, right? I mean, everything is going to change. So I think though, that it's, they're struggling with the mindset of what does 75 look like for me? Like, what does 85 look like for me, you know, and shaking out what it looked like for our grandparents and maybe even our parents so that we can decide what we want it to look like Mm. and decide that there is never going to be an age where we have to stop playing pickleball or lifting weights or, you know, if someone challenges these people 
Like, should you be doing that at your age? It really makes them stop and think, and it may make them sit back down. And I think they're looking for somebody who's a voice who's really convicted that, no, 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 we can absolutely change this. Are you kidding me? You know, do not let anybody tell you, you know, because you're X amount of years old, this is what you should be doing. And I can I can say that because I've done iron distance triathlons and the reason I keep going or want to keep going is it's it's a hell of an environment. You you suddenly there's no age, you know, and there are people of all different weights and body composition sizes, and everybody gets that starting line with the same fears and the same desires and the same hopes. And when they cross the finish line, they're all crying for the same reason mm-hmm. that like this was a big thing. And you know, it took a lot of sacrifice, but I did it. And the body can overcome so much, but a lot of people don't carry that conviction around with them and they need to be around somebody who does. Those are the people who come to me or the people who are already, that is what I believe that is. Yes, that's, I want to continue to surround myself with people who are just like that. But we all need a little bit of that because I mean, the numbers in society are certainly not swayed to our advantage. Every Everywhere we look, I mean, there's pushback about, you know, aging looks like this. And, you know, we still all have to catch ourselves. I'm guessing, mm-hmm. you know, in the course of any day, some, somebody out there said, oh, it's hell to get old. Because you were looking at that and saying that like it's kind of a funny thing. You know, but, you know, 30 year olds are saying that. So, you know, we make getting old be a bad thing. It's it's not the the getting older that's a bad thing. It's, you know, if you accept that with that should come weight gain or fat gain or getting weaker, getting sicker. I don't think we I think we have to reject it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of us are, and this is probably just a biological thing. It kind of makes sense. We're not necessarily all wired to think super long term. We had um, a gentleman named Dr. Mm -hmm. Alan Weinstein on, and he was actually on talking about marketing. But one of the examples he was using to give a marketing tip was the fact that he could show every study in the world showing that exercise is super beneficial in every sense of the word. And a lot of people don't exercise at all. We're sitting here talking about the people today that, you know, they're, they're committed to exercise in some way, shape or form. They might just be doing too much or not the right type. And he was saying, I could show every study in the world that says that this is beneficial. And yet many people still don't do it. Right. So I think what happens to a lot of people is they have these expectations of what getting older means and they start things too late. It is the best time to start exercising was when you're a kid, right? You still, you find something that you love and that you enjoy. And then maybe you have to shift the way that you do it over time, but you maintain it to some degree. Um, I would, by the way, this, to be clear, I would encourage anyone at any age to pick up something new and to start. That's always, that's the second best time. Right. Uh, but the first time, was like, hey, what were we doing, you know, 10, 15 years ago? And that's what I I got very lucky to be introduced to people like the ones that I've met at FDN to just see what it can be like at 60, at 70, if you really take this health thing seriously, if you really commit to it long term, not doing it perfectly, but just doing 90% of it long term. Mm-hmm. Most people are never going to do that. And it's inspiring to me because it gets me excited. I'm at the damn, not that they're FDNs necessarily, but I'm at the damn pickleball club. And I, I do play with a lot of people who are 60. They're freaking good, man. And they're healthy and they're moving. And I sit here at 28 and it actually, it's flipped my perspective a lot because now I'm excited. I'm like, 
wait a second, I could come be coming to this club for the next 32 years and still kick and butt. That that's inspiring, right? That's fun. That's longer than I've been alive. Um, I played today with um someone who was an Olympian for badminton, and now she you know does pickleball and stuff. So there are people out there that stick with these things long term, and that's how we can stay, uh, you know, in the game, so to speak. So. One question here. Andrea said, I'm late for the party. Will a recording be available later on? Well, actually, Andrea, since this is on YouTube Live, the second that we are done the live, all you have to do is go to our uh, functional diagnostic nutrition channel on YouTube, and it's not going to be under videos. Click live, and you'll be able to watch it immediately there. And then this will be out on audio in about a week and a half to two weeks on our podcast platform. So just search for the Health Detective Podcast anywhere that you choose. Now, With this all said, uh, one of the things that I love about talking to people who have worked with probably hundreds of people, thousands of people over time, is that they usually have some really cool stories. So I'm fascinated to finish up here and then shout out where people can find you. Um, But I'm fascinated to finish up with, do you have like one or two stories that are just really impactful for you that they came to you, maybe they're at the end of the rope with whatever they're working on, and you or your coaches have been able to help them get to kind of that next level and just change things for them? I, I always love to leave on those notes. Yeah, I have one that stands out, and I, I told Jennifer's story so very much. She should probably come on and tell it herself, but she was also included in my TEDx talk, so if anybody's seen that, a little bit of a rerun, but I, back in 2013, I was really my last year. I had already quit. I, I'd given my resignation, but I was asked to be the leader for the Iowa, it's there's in it used to be. I don't know that they still do this, but basically, it's an Iowa roundup and it's highlights Iowans, makes them healthier. They choose 12, 10 or 12 individuals, and then they choose a coach and they really feature it to help other people say, Oh, if they can do it, I can do it. So it's really an eclectic group of 12 people when I was doing it. And one of those people was Jennifer. And, you know, they're led through testing. They get to do cardiovascular testing provided by one of the hospitals. They get me access to me and to a nutritionist. So they get the whole gamut for 12 weeks and then they, they're followed. So they have to be able to willing, willing to publicly tell their story. Well, Jennifer was selected, you know, out of hundreds of applicants to participate. She comes, she was late to the meeting, and she's in a boot. And she also was significant, you know, in terms of her weight. I think she was probably at about 260 or more. Mm-hmm. And and I'm maybe 5'1", so that'll give you a little perspective. But she's in a boot, she's injured, and so we start talking about what she's doing. And she's, you know, probably eating 800 calories a day exercising two to four hours a day. Now she was walking, wasn't doing high impact, but, you know, and it resulted in a fracture for her foot. So probably, you know, micronutrient insufficiency, a lot of that going on. Digging deeper, she was barely sleeping, had insomnia, had for some time, but also just wasn't prioritizing sleep going to bed really late, you know, a lifestyle that probably wasn't all that conducive to anything, but calorie counting. So that's all that mattered. And, you know, wasn't making the best use of those calories. So it took a long time, (laughs) a long time, not because of here down, but because of here up to change 
you know, and go from 800 to a minimum of 2000 calories a day just to get there. You know, we more than doubled what her intake was. Then I more than have to, you know, her exercise time and then introduced, we're going to take an entire day off of doing any formal exercise. You can play, be active, but walk to the mall or do something. But I don't want you doing any exercise, you know, on a, on a certain day. Let's rest and recover and see what happens. You know, fought me tooth and nail on that, you know, and, and played the game. You know, I'm not, I'm not exercising, so I probably shouldn't eat, you know. But after years, years, literally of making those incremental changes, she lost 100 pounds. And, you know, she's stronger at 71 now than she's ever been in her life. She feels great. She feels good. And she's, she's writing. So she's trying, she's not a writer, but she's trying to write about the story because she knows that it will help people. And I mean, that's really what it's all about. She wants to tell the story because she knows it is a story. Mm Mm-hmm. That's excellent. That's uh, I've always had the opposite issue. Thankfully, it's better now. But where I believe it or not, try to you know gain weight. It's always been an issue in that sense. And I can't even because I know what it's like to play around with twenty pounds, right? Like if I can just gain an extra twenty pounds, this would be great. Losing a hundred, just that. First of all, that's got to build your confidence to like the upteenth yeah. level. But at the same time, you have to change so much as a person for those things to work. And mm-hmm. in her case, it was like the opposite of many people with that issue, right? She's so low in the calories and, and higher in the exercise. So that's just amazing. That's uh, the genuine definition of life change, or at the very least, it's a very real example of life change. So that's so cool. If people are looking to learn more about you or work with you or what I'm actually, the, the more I've heard today, the more I'm realizing, it sounds like your program is almost a, a compliment to FDNs and what we do. I could actually see many of our practitioners having a client where they're like, hey, you know, you need to work with Deborah Atkinson and her team alongside with what we're doing here to make this work. Is that from what you know about us, that seems accurate. I'm really getting that. Yeah, absolutely. And and both ways, you know, I think yeah, sure. as an affiliate, you know, for what you're doing now. And also, you know, I think we've had a couple FDMs go through very recently the Flipping 50 Menopause Fitness Specialist knowing, yes. okay, I need to really drill down, dive down on, you know, this specific niche. And I think niche is where it is at, you know, really declaring, here's here's who I work with, here's what I do for them. And here's our belief, and here's why we do it, is that we believe there's no more powerful health influencer in the world than a midlife woman. You know, I mean, she she influences you, right? I mean, she she influences her her children, if not also her grandchildren, but her peers and her in-laws and outlaws, you know, I and mean, they're all looking awesome. at her for decision making. And a woman influences still today in 2024 over 85% of all household decisions. And that includes all of our <laughs> health habits. I can confirm that one. That's for damn sure. Now, Deborah, where can people find you if they'd like to look into the specialization or if they want to work with you? I'd love to just know all the stuff. Absolutely. So flipping50.com, all words spelled out, no spaces. Pretty much everything you want that is there. If you're a health and fitness practitioner, there's a little link down in the footer you can click to to go for more to a website. On social media, Flipping 50 TV, Flipping 50 TV everywhere. 
Awesome. My signature question that we're going to finish up today with, and it's going to be a little more broad than the specificity of this topic, but it is what we end every show with. The question is, if I could give you, in this case, a magic wand and you could wave it and get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health. So that means you can force us all to start doing one thing or you could force us all to stop doing one thing. What's the one thing Deborah gets us to do? Strength train. Period. Mic drop. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Strength train. And how much should you be strength training? Well, maybe you need to reach out to Deborah and her team to figure that out based on the type of stuff you have going on. Deborah, thank you so much. I feel like we have a lot to unpack here. There's just some guests where you could tell that that's evident. And uh, so we'll make sure we get you back on in earlier 2024 than not. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. 